0: And welcome to Living My Youth. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest today is actor D.B. Sweeney. Now, D.B., best known for his role as Doug Dorsey in The Cutting Edge, as well as Shootless Joe Jackson in Men Out. We talk about his preparation for both those movies. He's a big Ranger fan, unfortunately. I'm a big Islander fan. We talk about that. We talk about his place in the Islander Ranger rivalry. But D.B. is out with a brand new series called 2 Dumb Mix, in which he wrote, created, and started start alongside Sean Astin who we worked with in the movie Memphis Bell, talk about how that came about and it debuts tonight at 7 o'clock Eastern on Facebook live as well as YouTube go to 2 to see it as well dumb no B they're doing a Q&A tonight following it so check it out it looks really funny we talk about two of his underrated and underappreciated I guess you can say TV series that he starred in the 90s on Fox Harsh Realm and Strange Lock both had untimely demises. He talks about why both those shows ended the way they did. DB, really nice guy, very interesting career, very engaging, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with him. All right, so DB, before we get into um, your career, I have a couple, I guess one major bone to pick with you. Um, you're originally from Long Island. Uh, and you're a Ranger fan. So I, I'm i a huge Islander fan. I host the Islanders podcast. These are right for the team. And grew up on Long Island. You're a Ranger fan. You have the platform. Tell me how that happened. You know what? I don't
1: really understand it because when I was, you know, right around 12 or 13, that's when that Islander dynasty – I guess I was a little older than that. But the Islander dynasty was right, you know, right there. All my friends were Islander fans. I just I just liked the Rangers. I don't know what it was. I, I liked Roger Bear, and they were just – some characters on the Rangers that just uh, that I liked in hindsight. I mean, there's lot to admire about those Islander teams, obviously uh, Brian Trotchy and Clark Gillies and Billy Smith and all the other characters that were there. I mean, Dennis pop great, great players, but I just, you know how it is. Sometimes you can't choose your teams. Your teams choose you.
0: Yeah, no, it's yeah. I, I can totally agree. You know, understand that if I, if I didn't have the Yankees, I wouldn't have any winners in my life. So it's, uh, and, and, I'm, and I'm originally from Queens, so I can totally relate how, uh, how that happens, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, almost everybody in my school, my high school, was an Islanders fan, but I just wasn't wasn't for me.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I guess you know, for, for your sake, unfortunately, for mine, you you guys won a few years later, '94, that that memorable uh, Stanley Cup run.
1: Yeah, that changed everything. You know, you know, I, I got to be friends with Ron Greshner, You know, was one of my favorite players when I was, right? You know, a kid. And uh, after he, as he was getting to the end of his career, I got to know him. And when I did the cutting edge, they paid me for three months to learn how to skate. And I was like, well, that makes me a professional hockey player. (laughs) So, uh, So I actually called up Ronnie and told him, and I said, hey, why don't you be my hockey coach? And he said, yeah, I'll be your hockey coach. So we skated a few times. He showed me some stuff. We had some laughs. And I'd been skating for six weeks and he put me on the Rangers old timers team okay. to play a game against the Islanders in sure. Long Beach. Okay. And and I've been skating literally for six weeks. So yeah. I get out on the ice. I don't even I don't even know how a, a hockey warm up because I you know, I used to go to the Rangers games. I'd get there on time. I never watched a warm up, I never played. So I'm out here in the middle of this game and, you know, there's still bad blood between the Rangers and Islanders, even though it's the old timers. Of
2: course. <laughs> and
1: and none of these guys like they, none of them told them that this actor is playing on the, on the Rangers Right. so I'm out, I'm out here in the warm up and I, I'm, I'm up by the glass trying to figure out how, what the next drill is and I hear these two guys behind me who have a program and I, they give me number 42 I got a cage on I mean I look like a disaster but th- these guys I can hear them through the glass and one guy goes who's 42 and the other guy goes I don't know but he must have had a lot of injuries <laughs> so, uh, so I, Pierre LaRouche was on the team and he said to me uh, hey PB Just keep your stick on the ice and go to the net. And I thought, all right, I don't know how to play hockey. That sounds like good advice. (laughs) So my second shift, I'm out there, and Pierre fires the puck in. It goes off my stick into the net. I'm like, holy, I just scored a goal in a Rangers Islanders game. It's unbelievable. Later in the game, I scored another goal. Same way, Pierre fired it and deflected it off my stick. And I I couldn't believe I had two goals in this game. I get in the locker room after everybody's paying off Pierre. Because he had bet the whole team that he could score off my stick. Ah,
0: that's amazing.
1: <laughs> and uh, that's how good he was, and that's just how good of guys they all were that they you know that they thought of. But it was like a competitive game. it was like five to three or something. I had two goals. I went in the locker room like, you know, this game's easy. I had no idea that it was the subject of a wager,
0: right. <laughs> yeah, and the stats sheet, it's thats cheated. So said you start two goals, so that's all that matters, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. What, did you ever like think about like you know, even like recreationally playing hockey when you were younger?
1: Uh, you know, my dad was a schoolteacher in Long Island. Uh, you know, are you, you're, are you from Connecticut?
0: I'm from Queens. I, I lived in Dix Hills oh, uh, for a couple of oh, years, okay. too. So, yeah.
1: yeah, so, you know, the climate out in Long Island, it doesn't really get super cold in the wintertime, at least when I was growing up. The ice never really froze outside, so you had to, uh, you know, you had to play hockey inside, and right. the nearest rink from where I was at Shoreham was all the way to Kings Park. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. it was a bit of a schlep. It was expensive, and my dad kind of was like, we're not doing that. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's it's a hassle. You have to go to the rink, you know, super early. It's an expensive sport, so it's uh, yeah.
1: Well, I wouldn't have missed it for my son. As soon as he was three years old, I had him on skates, and now he's eighteen. It's the love of his life, and uh, he's you know he's going off to college. He's going to play club hockey at Alabama, and oh, that's awesome. you know so so he's he's really good, and and it's just fun to watch him play. That's I enjoy watching him play more than I ever enjoyed my own baseball days or you know any other sport that I played. Watching your son play is unbelievable.
0: Yeah, I mean, my son's a huge hockey fan too, but he, I never really pressured him, you know, to, to play. And um, you know, I, I don't—I kind of regret it a little bit. But my youngest is seven months now, and when he's old enough to walk, he's going to learn how to skate. So. <laughs> I'm gonna get, yeah, gonna I mean, that. it's
1: it's a great thing. The kids love it. They love that they feel like superheroes with the big gloves on and the, all the padding and everything. I, I think it makes them feel like uh, they that they can do anything.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Now you you mentioned the cutting edge and you know learning how to skate. What, was that like a difficult shoot, uh, you know, playing hockey or kind of making it look like you know how to, knew how to play hockey?
1: Yeah, it, it was tough. You know, I, I, I knew enough about filmmaking by that point, even though I was only, whatever, five years into my career. I knew that the most important things were going to be the way I started and the way I stopped. Because once you start, you could kind of skate out of the frame. Right. And when you stop, you know, you kind of come into the frame and stop and then start talking. So I really worked hard on those and then you know i built it out from there and i also learned that when i was skating with uh, moira kelly um who played opposite me her stunt double sharon cars was a tremendous you know competitive skater and when she was when when she would double moira and i would skate behind her and they focused the camera on me she just made me a better skater because i would just imitate her stride i'd have my my hand on her waist and it just it was almost like she was pulling me along and making me better and it was uh it was easier to fake it than i thought in the wide shots obviously it's stunt doubles and trickery right. but in some of those tighter shots it's uh you know i i got to be uh fairly competent at faking it
0: right yeah <laughs> yeah exactly that, that's what you're paid to do right
1: <laughs> yeah and then you know if you learn you know like uh if you see like in westerns like you see the way guys or girls it's tougher for girls because if they're wearing the period clothes or in a skirt but you see a guy get it off and on a horse and you really don't need to see him ride you can tell what his comfort level is and what his athletic ability is around the horse just by watching the way he gets on,
0: right? No, yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, you look at like a lot of you know sports movies, it's they always you know cast for the acting, not really the actual like playing of the sport. And you look at a movie like Miracle, it was kind of like the reverse, they did the hockey yeah, that... part and then the, the acting kind of just came. That's why that, that movie is you know so authentic and probably one of the best sports movies you ever made. I
1: agree with you 100%. I think Slapshot is is a more fun movie to yeah, watch exactly. but the hockey's not anywhere near as good as it is in Miracle. And you know Kevin Costner did that for uh, baseball movies in Bull Durham. I mean his right. his hitting and, and his throwing and everything is just so spot on that it just it lets it takes it to another level. So Miracle and Bull Durham and that, and if I can say so myself went out I think right. you've raised the bar of, you know, what's expected to, in terms of the verisimilitude for athletics in movies.
0: Yeah, you know and it's funny because like major league is one of my favorite you know uh, you know movies but that's similar to Slapshot, where it's more of a comedy and you look at the you know, authentic authenticity of baseball in Eight Men out that's what a you know baseball movie really should be
1: well I was a great honor to be a part of it and it's made me you know now living in Chicago uh, you know I'm part of the white sox extended family and right. and uh it's just great it's just great uh, you know I, lo- I love being here in the midwest for a lot of reasons but You know, White Sox is a great storied franchise, and and uh, the Cubs, obviously. So I think for baseball, you know, New York and Chicago are the two places where all the history is.
0: Yeah, and you know, ironically, it was the hundredth anniversary of the Black Sox handle last year, and I'm (laughs) and I'm sure that's not really mentioned anywhere. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, the interesting thing is that.
1: In the real history, this is the hundredth anniversary because that's the White true. Sox were—they yeah. were—they were getting ready to throw the twenty twenty World Series when they finally got kicked out.
0: Right, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How much of the actual history did you know before, like you know, getting the role?
1: I studied it pretty hard, and you know, I went to at that time obviously it's the eighties is pre-internet, obviously, and and so I went up to Cooperstown uh, where the Hall of Fame is, right. and they have a research library there that's only open to like scholars and stuff, and. I, I don't remember how I snuck in there somebody I had a guy some friend of a friend or whatever and I spent about three days in there just pouring over all the uh, newspaper articles from the day and the microfilm it was just amazing you know to all the stuff that, that you were able to access that they have there it's a really incredible it's like the Library of Congress for baseball and uh, I discovered a lot about it that you know made me you know sometimes your research gets in your way as an actor so like first of all I found out that she Jackson was not as dumb as he's portrayed in the script and as he's traditionally portrayed. That's number one. And number two, that these that the gambling of the White Sox was not an isolated incident. Everybody in baseball was gambling almost to the extent that if there was a four game series, uh, say between the Tigers and the Red Sox, and the Tigers won the first two games, the Tigers players and the Red Sox players would agree that the Red Sox should win the next game so that then the fourth game would be great for the gamblers because they don't know who's gonna win. Right. Are the Tigers really gonna try to win the series of four games or are the Red Sox gonna come back and square it? And it was just the way things were done. The fans knew it. You know, they knew that the first two games of the series were usually mm-hmm. on the level. And then it and then you had to be careful. You wanna make sure you're on the right side of the smart money.
0: Yeah. And you know, back then the series was best out of nine, not not like best out of seven like it is now.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was just talking about regular, regular. Oh, right, series, right. Yeah, uh, true. You know, like yeah. a regular series, a weekend series. Right. A team would come in, they'd play four games because it's a train ride. And they, they don't have any two-game series yeah. in those games. So, but yeah, you're right because of the pent-up demand after World War One. There was, it's the only series that was best out of nine.
0: Right, and you know, and it's funny you mentioned you know, Cooperstown. You know, going into like the, uh, the kind of the Hall of Records they have there, I used to work at ESPN, and we covered the induction ceremonies for a couple of years, and. The day before we were allowed to go into the you know the hall, just the the crew after dark and one of those rooms was you know the, the you know the microfilm and you know all the, the research and all the you know the memorabilia that was like unbelievable. That was like one of the perks I've ever had in my job there.
1: That <laughs> was cool, right? Because you yeah. felt like nobody else can go in here. It wasn't like you know I was in there with uh, I think the guy's name was Tom Heights, if I can okay. remember correctly, and he, so he was the librarian of the Hall of Fame and it was like me and him and you know it's like trusting me with this like the you know the treasure trove you know the 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 arc of the covenant of baseball you know it was great
0: yeah it's i mean out of all the hall of fames that one is just it's so special the whole town is just pure baseball it's fantastic
1: yeah i'm gonna go this year to Derek cheaters going in and uh, i'm gonna do an event where uh you know this this company asked me to come in and you know sign autographs for eight men out and stuff so uh, i'm gonna go in and, and and do that but i haven't i've never been to an induction uh, so I'm
0: looking forward to that. Oh yeah, we did. Um, we did Dave Winfield, Kirby Puckett, and I think Cal Ripken Jr. So, oh nice. Yeah, it was. It was you know being a Yankee fan, you know having Winfield there was really cool. But, yeah. Yeah. But, One of the
1: greatest athletes ever to play baseball. I mean, he could have played. Uh, you know, he's a bit like LeBron James. Yeah. Or, you know, he could have played NFL or NBA.
0: Right. Exactly. He was drafted in those three sports, and he was just you know a great athlete. You know, and you, you, obviously with Joe Jackson. Um, do you ever think there would be a chance that he gets, you know, inducted?
1: I mean, I think they gotta rethink the whole Hall of Fame because you, you know, it's not you got guys in there that don't belong in there. Like the catcher for the White Sox who became a manager after for the Black Sox, Ray Shock. I mean, right. he's he you know, he'd be a backup catcher now. He'd be mm. a he'd be a bench coach. Right. You know, he's he's not his stats, he's like a two forty career hitter. He was not any kind of an impressive defender. It's just that he was thanked for, for being the one guy on the Black Sox who didn't cheat in that yeah. World Series. And there's a few other people that are in there, not necessarily on a lack of baseball merits, but, you know, I mean, Ty Cobb was a controversial guy. I right. mean, Babe Ruth was no role model. You got a lot of people in there that are not, you know, model citizens. So they got to decide, well, what is this about? Is it about what you accomplished or what you what you didn't? And, and, and the steroid era creates a real dilemma because – you know, not that you know Barry Bonds was going to be a Hall of Famer without steroids. Right. So that's what's annoying to me. But I, I I'm really good friends with Scott Erickson, who okay. was a pitcher for the right. for the Twins exactly. and, and yeah. pitched you know 20 year career. Yeah, the Orioles. I think, yeah, and I think he won 180 games, 185 games. He was pitching in the prime of his career against all these guys that were cheating. So that's a guy who's a victim of this. Where maybe he maybe he wins another 50 games and now he's a borderline Hall of Famer. You know, there's there's the pitchers that were facing these hitters at right. that time were all victimized and you know, and so their stats are deflated while the hitting stats are inflated. So it, it's a complicated thing with the steroids. So I'm not sure about that one, but as far as Joe Jackson, um, he was the best hitter of the night of the period from 1910 to 1920. And some people think he was the best pure hitter of all time. He's considered maybe the best defensive left fielder of all time, which is a big statement when you go in against Barry Bonds, but yeah. you know, in his, in his era. So I don't know. I mean, it's, the, the World Series cheating thing is is a tough thing to overcome, but at the same time, he hit 375 in that World Series, didn't make any errors. You know, it's, there's a lot of there's a lot yeah. of gray area on this one.
0: Right. No, I mean I I agree. I mean I'm I'm in the camp where I think they all should be in, like Bonds, Clemens, because they're like, you know, bats, their gloves, all, all their equipment's already in there. Their numbers are in there. All all that's missing is a plaque. So – and same thing with Pete Rose. All his stuff is already in there. The only thing missing is a plaque. So I, I don't really understand if you're going to b- fully ban the guy, then don't even have any of their stuff in there.
1: Yeah, I, I suggested years ago uh, – people always ask me this every year when it comes around. And my idea was they should they should let them all in and just have a separate wing. Exactly. Call it the Rogues, Gal- the Rogues Gallery or the Dark right. Cloud or, yeah. or something. It would be the most popular part of the Hall of Fame. And so if you feel a need to, like, separate them out and say, look, these guys – have an asterisk next to their name, which they they did famously to Roger Maris for exactly. many years. Yeah. You know, just just have a the asterisk wing and and put them all in there and you know, and then fans can discuss it. And then I think it would be good to have some context where you show, okay, who were the victims of the steroid era. Um, you know, and you maybe talk about the Scott Ericksons of the world and the other players, and I'm not saying Scott was a Hall of Famer because he probably that's a stretch, right. but he was a dominant pitcher for several years, you yeah. know, won a World Series, he, he won, won how to no hitter. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's, he's a guy that if his ERA is a half a point lower and half a run lower and, and he wins 45, 50 more games, you know, he's on the ballot.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I even look now with the whole Astro, you know, uh, sign scandal. A lot of pitchers who are like fringe pitchers, you know, probably got cut and released because they, they were giving up home runs left and right to these, these hitters. And I feel bad for those guys because, you know, you already know what pitch is coming. You really have no, you know, no chance.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I'm a little conflicted on this whole thing. I mean, I think that the fact that they use all the electronics and the sophisticated signaling from the dugout and everything like that, I I feel like there's a little bit of it should be on the opposing team that they should have masked their signs a little better and they should have, you know, adjusted. Because people stealing signs has been part of baseball oh, no, from the beginning. Yeah. And and I think that one of the things that should have been done was I, I mean I just think that if you think they're stealing signs, just drill a guy. And and then have the you know, charge, Have somebody charge them out And then during that fracas, You say you guys are stealing our signs And we're going to keep drilling you Until you stop stealing them It would have stopped And I mean I know that's old school baseball But that's You know To just take it lying down The way the Dodgers did I just don't I just don't get it It doesn't feel like they were It feels like Why would you allow this team To do that to you
0: Right yeah Especially if you know it In the, in the moments I mean I look at uh, Altuve hitting the home run Against the Yankees And into World Series You see Aroldis Chapman's face he knew right away because he's smiling, and everyone was criticizing. Why is he smiling after giving up the biggest homerun of his career? And sure enough, you know, it comes out later that, you know, they, they knew what pitch was coming.
1: Yeah, and and that that whole the, the thing that uh, that irks me. I really like Altuve, but they were all tearing their jerseys off yeah. and they, they were, every time they hit a home run, and he's like, don't tear it off, don't
0: right. tear it off.
1: Couldn't it couldn't be because he's worried about his pot belly, because that guy's built like a fire hydrant. Yeah. He's for shit house, but but you know, so I think he might have had a buzzer under his arm.
0: Yeah, and it's a shame because. You look at him, and even before that, everyone's like, "Oh, this guy is, you know know—doesn't look like he's a baseball player, but he—he you know, he plays the right way. He, you know, he's MVP, and then all this comes out. It's—it's it's a shame. It's just a big black eye for baseball." Yeah,
1: I think they'll come out. They'll overcome it, but of course, yeah, it's, they gotta figure out—they gotta figure out something. You know, with—I uh, don't know. I mean, it's—you're not allowed to have a, a nail file on your glove. How did they miss this?
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and that was like—you know—the greatest parts of baseball. All the—you know—doctoring the baseball. I remember. Uh, this pitcher Tim Leary, who pitched for the Mets and pitched for the Yankees, had sandpaper in his mouth. And just, yeah, all, all that stuff. You know, it's, it's I know it's part of the game, and obviously, with technology, you know, things are going to grow. But it's just, I don't, I, I don't know. So, well, it's
1: all it's all about runs, you know. And I like I don't think they should throw the baseball out every time it touches the ground. You know, right. if 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 the pitcher throws a slider in the dirt, he should get that ball back if he can manipulate that that bruise on the yeah. ball. Good for him.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's true. It's all part of the gamesmanship of the game. You know. <laughs>
1: We see it the same way.
0: Yeah, right. (laughs) But, uh, you know, Joe Jackson hit lefty, and you you were a baseball player growing up. You hit righty. How was that difficult for you to kind of adjust?
1: It was really hard. um, And it was fun doing it, but it was really hard, and I had a lot of doubts. I spent six months um, working with hitting coaches, working off batting tees, just taking BP. And then the last two months, I actually traveled with the Kenosha Twins for two months. And uh, every game, I I put on the uniform and I went out to batting practice lefty and uh they wouldn't let me play in the games because they said uh you know the minnesota twins controlled you know the lineups which okay. i didn't realize but all through the minor leagues you know the managers really don't make decisions they'll, they'll make decisions about taking pitchers in and out of games but right. you know the managers don't really decide who's playing the, the team that they've they've drafted players and they want to see if certain players develop and You know that's what they want. So, but finally, at the very end of it, I got one at bat, and I and I drew a walk. So uh, I have no stats. Yeah, but I have one. I have a one thousand on base percentage, but no batting average. Right.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I I guess you were lucky that uh, Joe Jackson hit lefty, but threw righty. I'm sure that would have been much more difficult.
1: Yeah, there was a player, uh, the Lefty Williams, the character in Man Out, was played by James Reed, right. and James is a right-hander, and he couldn't do it. I mean, it was he did his best in the movie, and they faked it a little bit, but yeah. you know, they, they had to design shots where either he just released the ball and it left the frame because he had no control over it.
0: Right. I mean, I know you were a ball player. I know Charlie Sheen, but like, who else were some of the better ball players?
1: Uh, that was, Michael Rooker was a really good athlete, he played well, and, uh, you know, Cusack's like a 16-inch softball player in Chicago, he's he's an athletic guy, he was okay, and then, uh, um, Don Harvey hadn't played much, uh, but no, that was it, I mean, David Strathairn hadn't played at all, but he was tremendous at imitating the way pitchers threw, and I thought he did a great job, and Bill Irwin, the famous mime and clown, was our second baseman, Eddie Collins, he had never played any kind of a racket sport or ball sport, and, wow, he treated the whole thing like choreography so it was kind of cool to watch his process of looking at baseball from the point of view of a dancer.
0: Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Now, which is
1: perfect for pivoting its uh, double play. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Now, that movie, uh, that's always one of the top baseball movies mentioned. You, you mentioned also Paul Durham, uh, Major League. One, one of my favorites also is, uh, not because of the sappy story, it's just because of the baseball itself is uh, Kevin Costner's on the movie For, uh, for Love of the Game.
1: Great movie. Yeah, I I mean, it was a great movie. Yeah,
0: yeah, because yeah, I mean, just you, you you watch it and it's just like you're, you're kind of like all just you know immersed of him pitching a perfect game. and it, yeah. yeah, and the,
1: the rookie is really good. Have yeah. you seen the rookie?
0: Yeah, the the, the rookie is really good. Dennis Quaid did a yeah. good job in that one. And uh yeah, I mean this you know I mean Sandlot for kids is you know is, is, is fun, but I mean this other than that there's not too too many other good baseball movies.
1: Uh, banging the drum slowly is terrible, and uh, right. Pride of the Yankees is tough to sit through. Really, I mean, I love Gary Cooper, but it's yeah. just the, the baseball's terrible, and right. it's just it's so it's just so
0: cheesy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, like I like banging the drum slowly just for the, the story, not not for actually for the baseball. You know? Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's it
1: uh, Robert De doesn't look anything like a baseball player, and no. that's amazing because in Raging Bull he was complete. It's one of the greatest. Athletic performances by an actor, right. I think, and then bang the drum slowly. He's not even in the right stadium.
0: Yeah, no, it's true. It's like because I figure like boxing is probably one of the I will say easiest sports, but it's like I think it translates good into, into the, the movies. Yeah, more yeah, and I sport. think the reason why
1: baseball movies is so bad is because it's a subtle sport. Right. So you end up having every play in baseball is either a home run or a strikeout, yeah. and in and in boxing, you know, you can have a little more subtlety because at the end of the day. Hey, somebody's going to get knocked down and win or lose, so the audience is not worried that they don't know what's going on.
0: Right? Yeah, because I mean, look at like major league, and uh, Wesley Snipes who played Willie Mays Hayes, and, um, and he was supposed to be the fastest guy on the team. But anytime you see him run, it was always in slow motion because I heard he was like absolutely super slow, and it was. Also, oh wow, I didn't know that.
2: That makes sense.
0: Yeah, and also yeah, uh, and white man can't jump. You see him, and it's kind of like you know kind of slow motion a little bit so it's, and it's also half court so you know you don't have to do too much running around but oh, I, was, wow. I was fascinated by that
1: <laughs> yeah that's interesting
0: yeah now um your, your, new, your newest project comes out tonight at seven on facebook live uh two dumb mix you and sean Aston, which you worked with and a really good underrated movie memphis bell back you know I can't believe it's almost 30 years ago right like yeah you, yeah yeah how did this project come about
1: well, you know, I love working with Sean on Memphis Bell. Memphis Bell was really fun. That was like a last movie of its kind before, you know, now everything's computer generated now. Like when you see Pearl Harbor, which I really liked, uh, not right. Pearl Harbor, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Midway. Okay. Midway was really good this year, but it's all computer generated. Yeah. You can tell it's, you know, so in Memphis Bell, we had six actual flying B 17s and 12 actual flying fighter planes. Wow. And then, and then two camera planes. So, when you see aerial scenes in that movie, it's really airplanes flying around, so it's it's a different level of uh, reality in the movie. So, but those days are gone now. It'll always be computer generated now, I think, unless Christopher Nolan or Quentin Tarantino <laughs> or some really powerful director says, "I'm doing it the old school way." Right. That's the only reason it will. But anyway, so Sean and I became friends on that movie, and I'd see him every six or seven years, you know, passing uh, in this screening or that screening or at some event or something, and we, I always thought, man, I want to work with this guy. So I've been watching my teenagers viewing habits and they, you know, they, they like to watch uh, everything. is It's not only on demand, it's like on demand in their kind of time length. So if they watch, they might watch a movie in five chunks of 12 minutes okay. over a period of three days. Right. And I thought that's fascinating to me. And it's just the way the attention spans have evolved. And I started thinking about the beginning of movies. And back in the beginning of Hollywood, movies were 10 to 12 minutes long. They call them one reelers. And it was that was the, the technical limitation of the, the projector and the camera would be about, you know, 12 minutes of film. And it, obviously it was silent back in the beginning. But a lot of physical comedy was the best thing to make those one real those one real movies like you'd have, you know, train, train chase, you know, train wrecks or train chases, car chases, horror races and you'd have people hitting each other in the face with a pie because or falling in mud puddles right. and those were those were things that were, were easily to communicate without sound so that became part of the tr- tradition of early hollywood comedies and, and then it evolved into you know buster keaton and charlie chaplin and the marsh brothers and then later laurel already Abbott a stellar three studios. so i wanted to sort of tap into that energy of the original You know way that movies evolved movie comedy evolved and I just thought I want to do a a little bit of a modern spin So I wrote this thing and reached out to Sean. He said yeah, let's do it So it's designed to be this little short bite of comedy and we're hoping to do a whole series of them
0: That's that's awesome. So you you just uh, shot the the one
1: Yeah, we we shot one and we've had some offers to produce it but not the offer that I want yet So we're hoping by going out like this We get a ton of eyeballs and then we have a stronger position to go back and make a deal to make the next group of episodes. So that's that's the idea with releasing this. And also I just thought we were planning on releasing this in two months and with just with this coronavirus quarantine, everybody needs a laugh. And this thing is, you know, it's it's a little salty, but it's not like sexual content. You can watch it with your with your mother or your Mm -hmm. seven year old kid and everybody can have a laugh and it's just meant to be like you know the Coyote and the Roadrunner. It's not meant to be anything deeper than that, and just a fun, stupid show.
0: Yeah, that, that's that's what you need. I mean, comedy's supposed to be fun and stupid, and uh, it's a perfect time to have this release now. Everyone's basically home anyway.
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm hoping, you know, everybody's you know a lot of anxiety right now, and for good reasons, and people are hunkered down, and so I you know I feel like my job as an entertainer is you know it's, if I can relieve somebody's burden for a few minutes, then I then I've done my job.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now besides obviously doing a baseball movie and you, you're doing a hockey slash figure skating movie, you've done football and you've done basketball one, which you wanna talk about, uh, Heaven is a Playground, which I remember seeing, you know, years ago and uh, you know, featured you and Bo Kimball, who was, you know, led the and still in scoring with Laurel Mer- Merryman, unfortunately the whole thing with Hank Gathers, uh, Hakeem Elijah was in that movie. Um, that was based on the book and I remember you, you played, the, I guess the writer, right, of, of, the, of the book?
1: Yeah, yeah. I became friends with him actually. It's it's a really great book called with the same name Heaven and the Playground, written by Rip Calendar, who's a sports writer here in Chicago for the Sun Times, and he's just a great guy. Like he played football at Northwestern. He went. He was drafted by the Chiefs. He played one season of football. He went to camp. I don't remember whether he actually played any games, but he wrote a book about that. Um, he's just a great, great writer. So before he figured out what he was going to do with his life after he was finished with the Chiefs for one year or whatever it was, he wrote. He went to New York, and he just. He wanted to play basketball, so he organized. He found a bunch of guys who were like, you know, either missed by the draft or, you know, the guys that were like, uh, you know, they just didn't catch a break. Right. And he put together sort of like the uh, the island of broken toys basketball Hmm. team, and they'd ride around and play people. They became like a low rent Harlem Globetrotters. And so he wrote this memoir about that experience. And so the book is way better than the movie. Is what I'm trying to say. Um, the movie's okay. I, I'm I'm proud of it. I'm proud of the fact that I actually dunk a basketball right. in the movie. So that was important to me, and that's real. Yeah. I mean, the court was it was a sport court, so there's a little extra springiness there. Um, but that's a real dunk, and uh, so I was that was that's my own stupidity of sports that I that was what I wanted on film.
0: I, absolutely, it's not like you were standing on a table dunking, so you know, or something like yeah. that. Yeah, you know, that's good. Uh, are there any like sports movies that or sports that you haven't done that you want to do? well i I love
1: the horse racing world my uncle actually warren mertens won the triple crown as a jockey in 1946 so he was he was the only famous person that i knew growing up and he became the track official at saratoga springs and uh he just it's a great he has a great story um that you know that getting on the run he was the underdog horse from texas assault that he was a jockey of and they won the triple crown and you know it's a it's a very much a kentucky blue blood sport and they were like the scrappers from uh texas so you know they're I don't know if there's a movie there, but uh, I, I think I want to make a movie about horse racing, and I also want to make a movie about NASCAR, because okay. I just think it's fascinating, the, the characters in that sport, you know, the drivers. And I know some of it's put on, and some of it's like fake swagger, but I like the fact that the drivers are kind of like gunslingers a little bit. I just, I like the vibe, so I'm trying to figure out a way to make a movie about that.
0: Right, like I'm, I'm not a big NASCAR fan, but I really love Days, Days of Thunder, and you mentioned Michael Rucker before, who, who was in that, you know it was really you know really well done movie
1: yeah I mean the, the racing sequences in there are yeah. unbelievable I just feel like I feel like the story I, the Tom Cruise character is a little weird to me because <laughs> he shows up on a motorcycle from California with right. his hair blown dry and I just yeah. thought it, he's just it's too much like he's not there's no aspect of him being the underdog like he's always the underdog in his movies and that was the one thing that movie was missing I thought is that you know he's gonna win the big no, of race. course, there's no yeah. chance he won. right
0: yeah you're absolutely right I, I think Robert Duvall saw that movie
1: Oh, he's just so good. Yeah. I mean I got to hang out with him for about four months on Lonesome Dove and he's just
0: right.
1: I think he's the greatest American actor since Humphrey Bogart.
0: No, I mean yeah, he he's he's fantastic. He he absolutely is. But there are a couple other shows that unceremoniously got cancelled of yours that I was big fans of and uh first one is Harsh Realm that also had um Terry O'Quinn from the cutting edge of course. Um talk about a little bit of that about that show.
1: That was a great show. I got to know Chris Carter, right, who created why, The X-Files. Yeah. I was doing a show in Vancouver called Strange Luck, which was a really good show. We did 17 episodes. I was gonna got mention that one next. <laughs> yeah, and it was really disappointing to me because I thought it was a great part and a right. great setup. And they actually later on, this show called Early Edition kind of stole the whole premise. That's right, yeah. You know, uh, and not exactly, but kind of stole the vibe of the show. I, just was, I was disappointed that Fox quit on that show. Chris Carter was a fan of the show and he and I used to play basketball on Saturdays in Vancouver at the YMCA with David Duchovny right. and so we I became friends with Chris and then when our Rome came home he asked me to do it and it was just such a cool idea it was it was ahead of its time it was a little bit like the matrix like a computer simulated right. uh, parallel universe and uh, but if you die in the simulation you die in the real world so it was kind of an interesting series of stakes there and, and Samantha Mathis was in it, it was great So the story that I heard from Chris was they were negotiating I think the eighth year of X-Files when X-Files was like the biggest show on TV and Chris understandably wanted – you know after five years, TV shows become a free agent and the creator or owner of the show renegotiates the price every year. Sometimes they do a three-year deal, a two-year deal or whatever. So Chris was negotiating with Rupert Murdoch for a very big number and Murdoch got pissed off and he said, "Uh, we're not even in the same negotiation here. Okay, your show, Harsh Realm, that's canceled. You want to give me a real number now? Wow. And that literally was what went into the cancellation of that show. And I thought, and when I heard the story, I was like, Oh, okay. Two hundred people just lost their job because these two very wealthy guys are arguing yeah. about a price.
0: Yeah, no, that's that, that's that's terrible. It really is. But um, what, So what happened with Strange Luck? I mean, because that that show I thought was even better than Archer. Yeah, I
1: th- I thought it was better too. I, you know, it's uh, the showrunner on that thing. Got he didn't like the fact that I was very st- I had strong opinions about the scripts okay. from the very beginning, and that was part of the way. When I went into that show, I was just coming off of, like, Fire in the Sky and The Cutting Edge and some really big movies. And Brandon Tartikoff was a great uh, NBC executive for yeah. a long time and then became the head of New World Pictures. He recruited me to do that show and I, and gave me the script. And I said, well, I would like to fix these few scenes. I think they could be better. And he said, I agree with you. We'll get the writer to fix them. And the guy wouldn't fix them. And so there was a tension from the beginning that never went away. And then after about seven shows, that guy kind of – he got himself fired and uh, by not – you know, doing the things they wanted him to do, not what I wanted to do. So, and they brought in other guys that were good, but it was kind of like the show. It just didn't, Fox got tired of it. I guess they got tired of managing the show, I guess. Okay. So I, I probably could have been better politically the way I handled it. I was young and, and yeah. uh, adamant I mean, right. too adamant, but, uh, you know, I think I was right more often than not about what was good for the show. And, and the other guy didn't really care.
0: Yeah. No, that's a shame. I remember watching that and I was a, a big fan. The, um, I guess now if like shows like that would have been on and get canceled. I, there's more of an opportunity for them to get picked up because there's so many streaming sites. so many sites that, uh, you know, there's always so much content. So a show like that I think would have had a second life or even harsher own.
1: Yeah, it's not and it's not about the ratings really anymore. Like, no. uh, it, you know, they, in that, when we did uh, Strange Luck in 95, I guess, it's still only ABC, CBS, NBC, and Fox. So right. you're either in first, second, third, or fourth place. And if you're not in first or second place, you better be trending the right direction mm-hmm. because they're looking, they're looking to upgrade that time slot. So it's you know now time slots are a thing of the past and DVRs and, and uh, you know social media and all these other aspects of it that you know they and then whether or not they own the show like in that case they uh, they uh, Fox uh, owned that show um, Harsh Realm so now that would have kept it on the air. Right.
0: Yeah. No, true. Sure. Like you've co-starred in like so many, you know, starred in so many shows. What were some of your favorites?
1: I, you know, I love William Peterson, great actor on yeah. CSI. I mean, there's so many that I, I've been really lucky to. I love Kira Sedgwick, so I got to close her right. with her, and and uh, you know, it's I've had really good good fortune. And in, in, uh, Jericho was a great show that I got to be in that for a while, and uh, great bad guy part that was fun. There was another show called House a few years yes. ago, which. Which uh, I, I was hoping that it would go longer because I had a good, a, a lot of bad guy roles, but mm. that was fun to be in. And uh, you know, I just feel very blessed. You know, I'm in my fourth decade as an actor. Which, if you told me that was going to happen, you know, 35 years ago, I would have, I would have laughed at you. But mm. you know, I've, I, I've tried to work hard and I've tried to, I've tried to respect the audience. I just feel like I'd rather. Fight for this character or this scene today, you know, uh, on the set, because once we film it, it's forever, and somebody's going to be flicking through their channels and see it. And if it sucks, it sucks forever.
0: Right. It's, yeah. It's true. It's it's true. And certainly, there's enough channels for these things to run over and over again. But uh, one one bad guy that role that you were you nailed was your Death starring spot on 24.
1: Oh, that was fun for me Kiefer Sutherland Is a, a hockey buddy of mine Yeah he... And uh, I, was, I really wanted 24 was my favorite show I mean I loved watching that yeah, show When it was on too. And I thought he was so good In that part And he just killed it He was just great And uh, so I wanted to be on there And we kept looking for You know He was looking to try And find a good role for me Where I could be in You know A big chunk of a season And, and it wasn't We couldn't find one And then uh, The show was You never know when it's gonna end But we were getting towards the end And, and so I said Well let's just do something and So we, we brought in And I got to waterboard Katie Sackhoff, which was kind of fun. (laughs) Awesome girl. You know, she was, we had had this fake waterboarding rig set up, and she was like, this is
0: not real. Let's just do it. And I was like, I love this girl. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, she's fantastic. She was great in Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, really great. Yeah. Great person. Right. And then you worked with Kiefer again in uh, his show Touch.
1: Yeah, yeah. Kiefer brought me back for that one. And, uh, you know, I I like working with him. He's a a pro, you know, and he's, you know, and he's, uh, He's like a work hard, play hard guy and I, I can't I can't do the what he does like after hours
2: and right. <laughs> still come
1: back. But but he's he's a pro's pro. I mean he he's always got his lines down he's always on time and you know he does what he does on his time, that's his
0: business. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So when did you know you wanted to become an actor? Uh,
1: I, I I guess i figured it out at new york university when I, I went there kind of as a just as a lark you know to forestall the future right and i started doing plays with my friends because we couldn't get hired as the main stage in the main stage productions at nyu you know that was all the slick uh, shakespeare kind of actors were getting those parts and uh the, us down and dirty actors <laughs> couldn't get in there so we started doing our own productions in this little abandoned space at nyu and one of us did the lights one of us would direct it and the other guys would be in it and we just sort of figured out how to do it
0: right um and you you besides like doing that you also played baseball right I and mean, you went to australia to play baseball
1: yeah a little bit later in my career when i did uh when we did eight men out i spent those too much with the kenosha twins right. and then a few years after that i was filming a movie in portland oregon and the triple a team for the twins was the uh portland beavers and so i did uh uh I went down to batting practice with the guys that I hung out with during the Kenosha Twins stint, and I just had a great batting practice, and the pitching coach for the Portland Beavers said, what are you doing when you finish this movie? And I said, I don't know, I'll probably do another movie. <laughs> he said, how would you like to come to Australia and play baseball? 75 bucks a game and a plane ticket. I said, deal.
2: Right.
1: <laughs> and uh, so I went and played a season down there, and it was just a great, great experience.
0: Yeah. What, what position were you playing?
1: I played a little outfield. I played a little third base. Third base was kind of fun because – um, and I played a little second. I was just wherever they needed somebody. So, uh, but the funny thing about playing in Australia was they don't really—they're they're a cricket country, so yeah. they don't really understand fair and foul territory. Okay. So when you play third base, like one time I, there was a really smoked ball foul, really fouled by 12 feet, and but I went over and chased and I didn't have anything else to do, so I went over, I kind of extended and I made it kind of a good grab, and and everybody was like clapping and cheering, and I was like, oh. And then I thought about it. I was like, oh, they don't realize that there was nothing at stake if I missed that.
2: Right. <laughs> so
1: so then it became a gag where, like, I try to make diving plays on foul balls and then, like, make a show of it and flip the ball to the crowd. <laughs> it became a kind of a bit with the team, like, you know, like, you know, see if I could whip them up and I try to find a pretty girl and throw the ball to her. It was, you know, <laughs> like barnstorming kind of stupidity. Right. But, it, but it was really fun. The Australian people are great. I mean. That's my favorite country in the world, not named America, and I, I I would go back there in a minute. Right.
0: How much like foul territory was it? Because like, is it, was it like each stadium had the same amount, or unlike here?
1: No, different. Everything was different, okay. and a lot of times the ballparks there was a lot of foul territory right. because they played cricket there and they needed more room. So, um, so yeah, it was. It, there'd be a lot of foul territory. Yeah. So it was. It was just something to do, pass the time. Right. Exactly.
0: But um, where can, uh, besides Facebook Live, it's, where else can we find uh, 2 Mix?
1: Well, after 7 o'clock Eastern tonight, it's going to live on uh, YouTube. So if you go to YouTube and Google 2 Mix with no B. Um, and I think it's going to still, we're going to keep it on Facebook as well. So either facebook.com slash 2 mix no B, or youtube.com. And if you forget that, just go to 2 with no B, and uh, there will be links there that will send you in the right direction.
0: Right. And you and Sean are doing uh, Q&A after it?
1: Yeah, we're going to be on a Q&A and a uh, so uh, give us your questions, give us your ideas, and I, if everybody could just share this with as many of your friends as you can, just try to get them to tune. It's only five minutes long. I promise you you'll have at least one or two laughs, <laughs> and the more engagement and the more people we have watching this, the sooner we'll be able to get these new episodes going.
0: Right, and then mix, are basically that's both your first names. It's not a derogatory term, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it's a double entendre, yeah, but mm-hmm. yeah, the, yeah, it's Mike and Mickey, so uh, Mick and Mikey, sorry. And, uh, yeah, it's it's, but you know, I took and showed it in Dublin, and all my Irish friends signed it off on it. They said if you'd called it two dumb patties, we'd have a problem. <laughs> yeah.
0: I got uh, one more question, uh, cutting this question. Um, was there ever a talk for you and Moira to be in the sequels?
1: Yeah, they made it easy. I mean, Moira and I made a deal. We really became good friends, and we made a deal. Look, let's neither of us will do the sequel without the other person doing it. Right. So you know we're, we're gonna stick together. And when they came with the first sequel, it was like they offered us no money. And, like, it was such a bad script. It was a very easy no. And, you know, they tried to make they, – they made the sequels for less than they made the first movie. Right. And, I, and I thought, this is so stupid. You know, you're supposed to make a lot of money when you do a sequel or at least make more money than you made on the first one. So I thought that they really did a bad job with protecting that brand. I mean, I think we could have made two or three sequels to that. That were really high-end and, and they were really good and entertaining but that was not the direction they went so MGM was kind of in a shambles at that point as a studio and that's a big disappointment though because I uh, you know Moira came back and did my movie two tickets to paradise right which was great that she did that for me yeah. um, but you know we it would have been great if we had been able to do a sequel to that movie because people love it so much
0: yeah now do you ever think that they'll kind of like remake like a you know traditional movie not like you know a family channel type movie
1: you never know I mean right. I, you know it's all whatever the people want like right. if, if everybody shows up for two dumb Mix and we got a gazillion eyeballs I bet you we'll have ten episodes by the end of the summer if people don't really respond to it maybe we'll do a couple more maybe we'll do five but you know if I know Moira and I would love to do it if there was a great script about one of our kids maybe was a skater or something right. or one of us became a coach whatever the case may be because I think Moira and I had something really great together uh, chemistry and I, I think that's something that never goes away
0: yeah, absolutely. But everyone, check out Two Dumb Mix later tonight at seven o'clock. I'll be watching. DB, this was great. I really appreciate your time.
1: Thank you so much for having me on. It was fun talking to you.
0: And a special thanks to DB for joining me today. Go check out Two Dumb Mix tonight, seven p.m. Eastern on Facebook Live. They're doing the Q&A afterwards. Go to twodumbmix.com to watch it as well. Dumb, no B. If you want to follow him on Twitter, he's at real DB Sweeney check him out on Facebook go to follow me on Twitter I'm at the first zero no no19 be sure to like the page will be my youth on Facebook go to iTunes check out all the past episodes we've had while you're there please rate and view the show don't have iTunes not a problem shows on SoundCloud is also on Podbean go to Com for all your merchandise t-shirts hoodies phone cases they're all there a new episode comes out every Wednesday sometimes Thursday Stay safe, everybody. We'll see you next week.